coming right back at you. Reinforced Running Podcast, HHMC edition, Josh Reed, Rich Ryan, we're making it happen today. Today we're talking about how to structure a, a training plan for endurance. Uh, we get into the weeds quite a bit about uh, progression and periodization. We talk about exactly what they are and how to set them up in, in different terms and some other options for how to set up your training plan. So we really kind of dive in and do uh, some specific workouts that you can fit into a progression and really what the expectations are out of a progression and how to periodize them throughout your entire season. So uh, we do a lot of talking about uh, training and and how to make yourself a better athlete. And this is really a way to how to apply it. Um, to your specific situation. So uh, a lot of really cool takeaways in this. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's something that I think about a lot because I do this a lot as a coach. So uh, I hope you enjoy learning about periodization and progression. Josh Reed, my friend. Good morning, Rich. How are you? You got some strong coffee in it you had made mention to before we started recording? Indubitably, uh, I'm shaking a little bit, but my heart rate's really low, and that is a sign of caffeination and fitness, and that you're ready to podcast. <laughs> the that I I don't get that feeling too often anymore, where I'm kind of like, oh boy, I might be in over my head here with the amount of caffeine that's in my blood, because that's not that fun when that happens. You're kind of like, ah, uh, I've never really felt this before. Is this is something bad going to happen, or I'm going to have to like ride this out? Borderline anxiety attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like kind of like out of body. It's like, uh, okay, just breathe. There will be no freaking out in this coffee shop. There will be no freaking out in this coffee shop. Meanwhile, um, like half the other people in the coffee shop have their triple espresso and they're feeling the same way, but it's all quiet in their head. It, it's funny. Like if you go, uh, I'll go there and do work sometimes and I'll look around and it seems, you know, real quiet. There's like good music on typically and people kind of keep it to themselves have the headphones on, but everyone's leg is like kind of jumping up and down, like kind of like <laughs> bouncing a little bit. It's like you pay real close. It's like everyone here is just buzzing on caffeine and I'm part of the mix and I'm excited about it. Dude, I actually, I, uh, I miss coffee shops. I mean, working from home is fine and all, but there's something about coffee shops. You're just like minimal distractions. You get in the zone. Everyone there is working. I think that is the thing that, that it just puts you in a different place. Like th- th- you can't just get up and do whatever you want. Like you have to really kind of rein in the focus, but same times like you can't podcast from there. You can't make like videos and stuff. So I don't know how much I'm going to be in a coffee shop now, but I've done some really nice creative work in coffee shops before just because you sit there and the focus is just like, yeah, the, also the thing. place I go to the Americanos are just on par. And uh, I'm actually, I'm feeling it right now. I'm like rocking back and forth a little bit, but I'm feeling laser focused as always yes. what do you got going on for the fourth i that's saturday or is that saturday tomorrow honestly tomorrow's tomorrow's like the the recognized holiday i think i think a lot of people have off tomorrow <laughs> i'm taking off word uh, nothing special man probably nothing special maybe go out on the river with like the kayak and uh check out some fireworks that might be pretty cool nice are you doing the are, how's the hamstring are you doing the the burpee run ah uh, i'm i'm sorry man i'm not doing it I'm not doing it. Listen, listen, okay? Hamstring is okay, but but I'm saving my mojo for next week. I'm going up to New Hampshire, and I am gonna go super duper ham. And I just I don't want to go there with just a, like a blown up posterior chain. All right, fine. No, I already. Know, and besides, you guys are gonna beat me anyways. That's my excuse to get out of it. That is your excuse. <laughs> that's what you. But that's what you said. You always wanted to run and to see how you would do compromise versus people who are faster. Now it's been gifted to you 
is right here for you. Sissying out. Sissying and you're sissying out. out. No, don't worry. I'm going to suffer really hard in New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, and, prob- and probably for longer. That's probably gonna be worse. Like the 10k, yeah. Like I think the they're kicking around 50 burpee 10k. It's 10k. It's every 800 meters doing 20 burpees, and they're saying 50 minutes is gonna be like the time. And kind of worked it out. I was talking to uh, Mark Godet about it too a little bit more. He's like, I think I overshot my like my estimation here, and I was kind of like, yeah, I think 50 is gonna be pretty good guess for i'm gonna be excited to see because i saw some of the numbers you guys were spitting out i'm like are you really gonna hold 530 pace for for all these rounds i'm like jesus i mean i figured like i i could hold um probably five tens for 50 minutes without burpees (laughs) right i don't don't know how much that's gonna screw up my actual running but i think it's like the burpees are gonna be the actual limiter like that's what's actually going to to suck totally it's gonna to be awesome to see though i look forward to uh to to checking it out i wonder if anyone will do uh like a like a live feed of it like set your camera up i don't know you guys live like in the city mark had a, an experience with someone stealing some stuff and he had to go chase yeah. someone down so i don't know how good of an option that is but that'd be pretty cool if someone did it so i don't know if that would be very entertaining yeah i don't know if that'd be very entertaining to watch because it is going to be 50 minutes of someone just doing 800s and then doing 20 burpees it's probably not going to be great television but i mean people watch the whole thing of murph i think this might be more entertaining than watching someone do murph what do you think mm, i don't know murph, it also depends on like i mean when i've watched murph we're talking like crossfit murph the video quality is just <laughs> phenomenal but there's something about like the Furby oh, 10K. And the actual games. Yeah, but if I was watching like yeah. a Furby 10K, I'm going to be looking at the person's face and their form. And I'm just going to watch them deteriorate <laughs> and find some sort of right, horrible like when's satisfaction. It, like, when's it, it going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, where is it going to happen? Where is it going to be? I would actually, I've watched 10Ks on the track before and taken splits of every quarter just to see like how the race is going. I sit there and like back when I had like, you know, an old Timex and I would just click and be like, okay. Student of the sport. All right, they're still they're on. Out on it. What's that? You're nerding out on it. You're What's a that? student of the sport. Big time. Yeah, I would I used to any split, any race I'd watch, I'd be I'd have to have my my splits up, my my watch ready and I would take the splits on every single race. It's like the best way to watch. Like it's kind of the only way to watch track and field because if you're just going to watch a, a 25 laps and just not really have any context about what's happening on each lap, then it's probably going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely a runner thing. I'm going to do. You have to be a runner to appreciate watching running. Totally. And uh, so you're not doing any any picnics, barbecues or anything? Nah, I mean, maybe I'll cook some chicken or something. But ultimately, I'm just trying to like hustle and get a bunch of work done and uh, then head out to New Hampshire, you know, for for a full week. So got to get ahead of the game. Oh, you're on the whole week? Yeah. Well, I mean, it'll be like, it'll be seven days, but you know, one, two of the days are travel because I'm five and a half hours away. So get out there, set up, chill out. And uh, I'll do that Monday. And then Tuesday, we're going to just start off with a bang, head up to the spot called Franconia Ridge, which is a really popular route in New Hampshire and uh in the white mountains and i'm just looking to i'm looking to blast off i'm looking to send it up that thing dude that's gonna be awesome that's gonna be a blast it's so beautiful man you got it's like four thousand feet of climbing just constant you just climb for pretty much an hour and then you come up to this exposed ridge line it's so gorgeous and it's just like the ridge line is maybe like 30 or 50 feet wide and it just drops off to both sides you feel so exposed like definitely wouldn't want to be there in a thunderstorm definitely don't want to be up there in a thunderstorm but uh <laughs> but yeah it, it's super rad it's a beautiful place isn't that have like the most deaths in like the country or something mount washington because because the um it can the, it changes so fast that like the winds can get so heavy and the conditions can change so quickly that people can kind of be taken uh 
off guard. I think it. I think it's one of the most deadly mountains in the country, if not the. Yeah, most. I'm not surprised just because it's like kind of easily accessible, so it gets a lot of traffic. So just by sheer volume of people, yeah. Totally, and it's not like you know, fourteen thousand feet like Colorado, where you're like, ah, uh, probably not gonna be able to do like four thousand's a mountain for sure. But like if you, like you said, people could probably just drive there and be like, okay, like let's see, yeah, let's see about this. Yeah, it's thing. cool. Washington, like so, Franconia doesn't go over Washington, but you can see Washington in the distance, and like that's part of the uh, Prezi mm. Traverse, which is in sight from Fran- Franconia Ridge. And that's the cool thing about all these exposed mountaintops is you can kind of like there's really good visual, there's really good, really good vistas, and you're like, oh, we're gonna run over there tomorrow and over there later. Cool. Dude, well, I'm happy for you. I'm jealous. Thank you. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be hanging. I'm half and, jealous uh, of your burpee 10k. <laughs> nah. Yeah, it's just gonna be a, a bit of uh, just going to the pancake for a while and then coming out. And then I'm gonna do the beer mile. I'm gonna see Dude, how that goes. You gotta goes. win it, man. You gotta win. It. It's podcast versus podcast. Okay, you gotta beat. Uh, you gotta beat Kirk over there. Oh, <laughs> Bring it home. Bring the win for reinforced running. That's right. And then the uh, the beer mile. I mean, that'd be cool. I'm, I wonder if some any like because there's like people who kind of are there are people who are really good at it i wonder if this event is getting big enough that it's catching the ears of the people who can run 430 and they're like oh, okay like this is money behind this race like i'm going to do it and i'm going to kill everyone <laughs> yeah um, well i listened to uh i listened to the running public with uh, matt mossman and he's a pretty seems like a pretty smart dude i just like his attitude i like his persona and he's the he's the guy that runs and early the company of mm-hmm. products which I, i'm gonna try out because it seems like Seems like some good stuff. He sold me. So, uh, but he he apparently has quite the pedigree. He was running like low fours, I think 405 or something. And his best beer mile was uh, 440 or 450 or something. Just, yeah, oh, yeah, bonkers. Wow, he's under, he's under five. Yeah, the Enderly products look pretty good. Like if you look at them, I mean, they're definitely, ha- ha- they have a lot of good quality product in that. I, I would take the Performally, but it is still a stimulant like it still has a lot of caffeine in it and has like caffeine times two, like they can kind of on, on the nutrition labels, they can kind of hide things by calling it something else. So it's like 150 milligrams of caffeine and then 150 milligrams of some other thing that also means caffeine. But so it just doesn't say 300 milligrams of caffeine. Right. Um, like a different form of caffeine with a longer half-life or something. So it's yeah. something like, is that, is that what, it, is that what he said on that show? A longer half-life. Why would you want that? <laughs> Long um, races. Ultra world, bro. I guess. Yeah. But that's the thing. I like drinking coffee. Like I don't want to add a, a, a stimulant to my, my, my game already. Cause I'm drinking coffee. Well, see, it's one of those funny things. You ever do something and you're like, ah, I feel good right now. Like you have a cup of coffee, right? And it hits you just right. Caffeine's like, mm, you're buzzing at the perfect level. And you think, well, more must be better. <laughs> yeah. It's a dangerous mistake that can be made, but I feel like I'd have coffee in the morning and then have like the performally and I might die. But I'm willing to take that risk. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, to to like double stack it or something. I don't know. I, I like because I don't want that that weird feeling that we I'll, had just talked about already. Let me know. Um, all right, cool. Well, this episode we did want to do a little bit of diving into some nuts and bolts in terms of the the way you can kind of structure your own training plan. Like we talk about a lot like different ways and different methods of training, whether that's strength training, you know, we talk about nutrition a lot and we talk about different things that you can do during training, but like the actual setting up of your training plan is very important. So we want to give you a couple of principles that we adhere to here and also some things you can kind of put into place your own and some some things that you uh, will want to do and some things you might want to avoid. And 
some of the principles that are going to be almost across the board when it comes to endurance training are that of progression and uh, periodization. And these are words you're going to you're here that get thrown around quite a bit. Um, so why don't we just kind of like loosely define these things for our listeners? So Josh, like what when just like progression by itself, like what would you cons- like? How would you loosely define progression? Well, I feel like progression and if it's right into periodization, it's a systematic way of progressing yourself through a certain mode of training or working yourself towards like a specific goal. You know, like with weightlifting, it's going from one weight to maybe a heavier weight or from a certain rep count to another rep count. That's really just ultimately building up the difficulty. Well, I shouldn't say difficulty, but because the difficulty will almost stay the same as you get better at whatever it is you're doing. But ultimately you're increasing. Relatively. Correct. Right. So you're increasing the challenge over time to build yourself up. 100%. And and running a real easy example to think of is when you, if you have trained for a marathon or an ultra race in the past, and you're starting at six miles, and then ultimately you work your way up to 20 miles. And that, that in the beginning, you're like, holy shit, how am I ever going to run 26 miles? How am I ever going to run 20 miles? How am I ever going to run 12 miles? And then as you add slowly each week, um, you start to adapt to that. Uh, and it doesn't become as, as daunting. So yeah, progression, it's that easy, just progressing yourself along the way, um, and making, and it, it can be scary at first, but you're like, you're right. Like the relative effort should remain the same. Um, yeah, and so you, when you have, like, when you think of progressions, you want to bite things down into little chunks, right? So that brings us to periodization. So how would you describe period- mm-hmm. periodization? So that would be kind of a period of time within the the training and it can be broken into a couple of different cycles and to make it easier to kind of look at periodization as a whole. So there are really three different ways to kind of set up your plan. There's a a macro cycle, which is your your scope of your season or even your year. There's mesocycles that fit within the macro cycle and then micro cycles that fit within the mesocycles. And so a mesocycle would be anywhere from like four to six weeks of like a training block. And in this case, we'll talk about block periodization, which is another word that will get thrown around. And that would be uh, four to six weeks where you set a certain progression of some sort of stimulus you want to uh, take on. And you will build it for those four to six weeks. And then you would change after that period of four to six weeks into a different progression. So, or just kind of bring things back and rest. Um, So a couple of reasons for this is to avoid plateau. Um, If you hit a period and you're like, you're just cranking on very similar stimulus over and over, there's been studies that show like no matter how effective it is for you, eventually it will get to a point where it will stop, um, creating that adaptation, you'll just kind of plateau or even get a little bit worse, even though your fitness and according to all like the numbers and like volume and intensity, all these things are in line. If you don't switch the stimulus, it will flatten out. And then also just to rest, you know, after, after a typical um, block or a block in this periodization, it's usually met with a a down week or a, a week to pull things back where you're kind of cutting out the, 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 the volume a little bit. Um, so what would be, what's a really, simple example give a really like black and white example of what uh someone's year might look like sure sure so like i think typically when people would would say this would be like a base period where they would have times where they're just running easy miles and i do want to talk about that a little bit like what a base period might actually look Mm -hmm. like and then it might be a speed block where they're doing things like starting at 200s and doing six 200s and then moving to eight 200s and then kind of splitting it doing two sets of five by 200 with a mile rest in between and then doing another set of five. 
Um, and that's slowly building up the volume. And then after that, you can kind of move into something like a, a threshold uh, period where you're working at miles and mile and a halfs with short rest at a slower pace. Um, and then you can kind of, in, in, in that case, you would probably be moving into a longer race. Um, there's a couple of different ways to use these periods and these progressions. But say for the example that I've just kind of laid out just off the top of my head here, um, maybe even building things up. So after the, the, the threshold, you work into more like tempo runs and then maybe you're preparing for a half marathon. So you're able to kind of get all hit all those things ac- across a 16 to 20 week training period. And you'll be set up by the end and having your training pointed at the actual race. And by the end, you want to kind of be in race specific speed and be sharp and, and then in line for a taper to, to bring down. Um, so that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So just kind of uh, recapitulating what you just said, you have, you're kind of building up your, your capacity to take on more difficult work. So you start out just kind of building up easy stuff, working on some fundamentals. And then as time goes by, muscles and tendons kind of get a little bit stronger. They're ready to take on some harder shit. And then you do harder shit. (laughs) And, uh, and maybe that's kind of race specific, or maybe it's still a little bit general. And as you get closer to the race, you end up kind of sharpening towards the, the specific demands of your race. For sure. And then with that, so this is what's called like linear progression or linear periodization where it would kind of stack one on top of each other. So it would get progressively harder and it would kind of be like a straight line that would move up. Um, and then within this, there are a couple of different methods that you can take and that I know that the things that I like and with I kind of like to program um, where you can go top down or you can go bottom up. So really what that means is top down would be, you would start at uh, longer, slower intervals, and then kind of sharpen down into the race specifics of what you're doing, um, which would be starting with, with something like tempo runs and then uh, working into threshold and just doing like literally the opposite of what I just said. And the other one is working speed first and then moving into race specifics. Um, so Josh, in your case, what do you think you prefer when you do your own training or when you're writing uh, programs out for people? I, I prefer, and based off just most of the stuff that I've, I've read and researched, it seems that starting out with you, you almost want to build up in, in intensity. And so what that might look like is you have your base period where stuff's really easy and you might have like some easy striders in there working on your economy, but it's not super, super hard. It's not really going to be a lot of strain on your, like your Achilles tendon because they're, they're short lived. They're not all out. And then uh, once you have a pretty good base, you start taking on some say tempo effort where you go out 20 minutes. It's pretty hard, but it's not super duper strenuous. And again, you're kind of building up the strain on say your tendons because your tendons have this elasticity. And so ultimately the faster you run, the more stress goes into those tendons and ligaments. So after your tendons kind of adapt to that, then you start moving into the really extremely uh, plyometric, very high strain, quick movements. So there's a progression ultimately in the strain on your joints and, and tendons and ligaments. Mm-hmm. So that'd be more of like the top down approach, right? Like starting out with something that's a little bit gentle, a little bit less intense and kind of work your way down into things that were going to be a little bit more explosive then, right? Right. And yeah, that, that seems to be the way that I kind of prefer to do it. Um, cause the idea of working in a pace, like a fast pace and then needing to add volume to a fast pace is just like kind of, kind of scary. <laughs> like if you do four hundreds and then it's like, okay, you're going to do same pace and it's going to be six hundreds. Um, that's kind of like, Oh shit. There's a little bit of, um, 
unknown to that. And I think I, I have done that in the past and it goes well, but there was like almost this, like for me, this like kind of like leap of faith you need to take. It's like, you want me to hold this same pace I did for 400 for an 800? Like uh, to me, like that's hard to kind of grasp. Or on the opposite side where it's like, okay, we're going to cut the volume and maybe just increase the intensity a little bit. It's like, oh, okay. Like I can wrap my head around that because to me, uh, things are daunting on the longer end of training. Like I would prefer uh, 400s and 200s to a, um, like an eight mile tempo run or something. Um, like being really intense on that, on that end. And there's different things that, and for me, I found this over just years of training and just personal preference, but also there's kind of this element that if the type of muscle fibers that you might be more prone to having, and these things can kind of change. And it's really hard to know really what, where you're going to have more of, and that's fast switch or slow switch muscle fibers, just kind of uh, in a really broad, broad stroke here. Um, but people would typically have, are going to be more slow twitch muscle fibers are going to like the longer stuff, the more strength based training, um, where it's like tempo runs and threshold stuff. And people who are going to be on the fast switch side, they're going to like the, the quicker turnover things. And, um, for me, I've always been better on the shorter events. Like growing up, I was okay at cross country, but I was really good at track and just the way that I like to, to run and just kind of like the way that I feel during fast things and the way that I respond to fast training, I kind of lean into the fast twitch muscle fiber. I'll be kind of fit into that, that group there. And, and Josh, you, you definitely have like come from a background of more of this fast twitch muscle fiber, I would think. Right. And with doing, um, the extreme sports and just, uh, some other aspects, but as an endurance athlete, do you feel like things have kind of transferred for you or, or do you like, what kind of approach do you like to take with this? Like, do you like the, the longer, slower stuff? So I do, I love the longer, slower stuff. I just, uh, it's kind of like a, more of a moving meditation rather than just almost wanting to vomit because your body burns. Uh, but yeah. I, I've wondered about that, uh, with myself, what, uh, just out of curiosity, you know, just uh, wonder if I'm more fast switch or slow switch because yeah, I did, uh, like, like some BMX racing and BMX stuff where it's super short bursts, like, and it like two seconds to 60 seconds max. And then, uh, like weightlifting, you know, you're doing uh deadlifts, short explosive movements. And that's, all, that is all very fast twitch, but the, it's, it's interesting when I take myself to, uh, say a track for running my, uh, I, I experienced with clients. I've seen other people who might have a very fast mile compared to, you might say, oh, they're 5k or their half marathon should be quicker based off their, their mile. I'm kind of vice versa. I have, a, mm. the longer the distance gets, the stronger I seem to be. And that would, you would infer from that, that I'm, I'm a little more slow twitch. That's a great, another great way to kind of, to look at it. So you can look at it from, you can get a muscle biopsy, which you probably won't do, Ouch. which I don't want to do. You can, uh, right. You can, uh, go off of just like personal preference and what, and kind of the process that I kind of took you through where it's like, what do you prefer like, or, or, or like basing your results off of the, the training that you've seen. And this kind of takes a long time to figure out and it takes some changing of uh, your training. So I've done countless, not countless, I'm sure you could count them, but I've done a lot of mesocycles um, over the course of my uh, training as an endurance athlete. But like what you laid out is perfect. Like, cause they have these um, calculators essentially that you can kind of punch in your time. So if you run a 5k and then and you can see where that, pertains to what like your marathon would be and if your projected marathon is faster than what it uh than what it says it should be based on your 5k you probably have a propensity to be better at the longer distances where i'm actually the opposite like i'll rip a 5k and then it'll tell me like what my time would be on a marathon or something and i'm just like there's no chance like i, can't, I know that that's not something i can do right now anyway like maybe over time but 
So that is a good way to kind of figure figure that out is to have just some objective data and be like, oh, okay, like maybe I do, I am more prone to the longer runs. Um, I think it's almost fair to say that most endurance athletes are going to be slow twitch just by just by the the field of um of sports that we're in <laughs> if like because like if you think of it like people want to break it down okay like some runners are going to be more fast twitch than other runners might be but like for the most part we're probably all kind of slow twitch if we were really good and fast twitch we'd probably do be doing a different a different sport but but we're all later in life now so people are coming from a background in soccer in basketball in bmx things like that where, where they where they might have that so um so do you consider that in, when it comes to your training when you figure out how to kind of periodize things yeah absolutely and that's kind of uh, the beautiful thing about either one having experience like you said you have multiple cycles you've been through you have history to draw from you can look at what's worked what hasn't and you know like where your weaknesses are and if and someone that's super duper self-aware might be able to if they do the right things right off the bat they might be able to recognize this like this is one of the reasons we do or we have clients go through like baseline tests right mm-hmm. we'll see how they do maybe in the mile in the 5k uh, threshold test and we can see the discrepancies between these things and see where their strengths might lie and i love that information because yeah i can i can infer from that okay your your mile time wa- was fantastic your threshold uh pace you know granted we had it done on like a a, a nice flat flat ground you you tapered off so obviously your endurance is where you're lacking but you like have the leg speed and we'll end up using that information to really build the cycles from there and one way to do that threshold test i think we talked about this in the past but let's just kind of go through it again because yeah the baseline testing it is like to, to do a baseline test do a 5k and then like baseline test like a half marathon like it's not necessarily feasible you know without specific training or anything but doing a threshold test is a good way to kind of figure out where that is and i've done them before with some athletes where it's um they're just put on a treadmill and you just kind of track your heart rate data for about 45 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. right yeah and then you you make sure you kind of sit at a point and it, it's an interesting phenomenon that will happen you, you will just be at a certain heart rate and and where you can sit. And if you start playing with the speed on the treadmill, if you pump it up and then it goes up too high, it'll start to feel not unsustainable, unsustainable. Um, (laughs) And that's kind of how you figure out where that pace is. And you take the data from what the, the, the pace you're running on the treadmill. And then that would be your associated threat, associated threshold pace. And then you could use those comparison charts to be like, okay, my 5k was here. So therefore, according to that 5k, my threshold pace should be this but during the threshold pace it was actually five seconds faster than that um so that will again kind of put you more in that endurance slow twitch category more or less um what other kind of tests do you like to use because i actually read a cool one just recently on the same type of it and i don't know how well it would translate to um most of the athletes who i would coach but it's like a single leg hop test a 25 meter single leg hop test to see what what kind of explosive ability you have Mm. um and just doing it on one leg and it's a, like the what I read it was like world class eight hundred meter runners would it would take like eleven hops, um, but I'm guessing most of the people who are training for OCR beasts or marathons are going to be like I don't know twenty and that's depending on your age too. I'm guessing these people like that, that that's based off of are you know like twenty three years old. Um, so I'd have to kind of take a look and see at what kind of chart and kind of how to how to chart that out and where that where that lies based on. Um, age and things like that interested um, in this kind of, i am what was the stats on that again yeah. 11 hops for how many meters 25 25 meters okay that's cool yeah and the, the first thing that came to mind when you said that though was 
who are you going to end up having do that type of test? Because like with the threshold test, if you have someone that's literally getting off the couch, not going to have them go for 60 minutes because they're going to have too much like actual kind of like muscular failure. And it's not going to be right. really a cardiovascular effort anymore. So that's a cool, that's a cool test, but that's something that I would only have somebody that has either a little bit of an athletic background or apparently has no, at least like real mechanical issues off the bat. Totally for both of those tests, for the threshold test and for uh, that hopping test. Um, So for the most part, I think a good place to test to start out any type of progression or periodization would be, I think a 5k baseline test is pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty short and sweet, even if you're not the fastest person. We should put our, our collective data together and figure out how that, how like your 5k and like a threshold test or like a marathon or half marathon and how that uh, pertains to like the 15, 15 test or some sort of like hill test with that as well. Mm. You know, that just like, yeah, yeah. Because speaking just off the cuff, cause I don't have, I've never seen any data on this. Cause I think that's exclusively like an OCR thing is that 15 minutes, uh, at 15% incline for as long as you can go. And then you count your duration of things. So it would be interesting to see how someone's flat 5k uh, and how it's associated with the 15, 15 test. And then what, where that puts them in, in terms of where they should kind of focus on or, or how to periodize things. Um, because that's another thing to consider is how to figure out what, if the person needs for, in terms of climbing or trails or things of that nature. So do you do anything in terms like to try to get people to see where their ability is on a trail or anything, or is it, or is it just kind of too uh, subjective and it's like, there's too many elements at play. You know, it's, it is difficult for me to see cause I can't see the trail that they're on. I can't really see the technicality of it, the ups and downs. Cause I've done trails that might not have a lot of elevation, but they just strange have, they have very like quick, short little ups and downs, just enough to kind of break up your, your stride. Whereas you could have a climb, with a crap load of elevation, but it's like super duper runnable. It's really consistent and that'll end up being fast. So that, that one is pretty difficult to say. Uh, that's why I do enjoy the treadmill where it is less, it's less based on technicality and it's more based on fitness. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a good place to be. And just kind of setting your own, uh, baseline if you have a trail if you have a a five mile trail that you like or a three mile trail or whatever it is that you can kind of repeatedly do um i mean that's just going to be your best bet and trying to figure out where your starting point is um and then you can just go off relative effort if you do a 5k and you enjoyed it more and you did a five mile on trail and you did not enjoy it or you felt like you couldn't quite get to the same level of intensity you know that's also telling right it's like okay well then we need to figure out how to improve your trail running ability to get to that to tap into this this fitness that you, that you Dude, i was just gonna say if you enjoyed it maybe we need to work on like your mental grind because either you're a freak and you actually enjoy suffering <laughs> or you did because i'll tell you what i'll feel like okay in a 5k for the first mile and then the second one i'm like questioning if i went out too hot and then the last one i am really looking forward to it being over oh my god that like if you're not dead at like a a mile and a quarter, like you went out too slow. <laughs> like it needs to be a point where, like, oh God, I got to hold on already. Um, for sure. So when, um, when setting up these kind of blocks, like what was, let's kind of go through some examples for, for people. What kind of things were, say someone's preparing for an obstacle course race and most of the championship races um, are going to be the beast distance. Um, this was going to be one of the years where they were going to have races that were going to be um, stadium based. So you could kind of sharpen into those. Um, but 
most of the time, most of the years, um, and maybe this year, who, who knows, um, it ends up being kind of like a beast fitness, a uh, beast level event. So if someone was coming and wanted to set up a, uh, a training block and say they've had, um, they've had some running experience and they want to point all their training either to, let's just say Tahoe, um, where would you start with some, with someone like that? Where would you, uh, like start in the, the periodization say that they are slow twitch, um, as we're going to assume most people are going to be, um, what do you think? Well, I'm glad you started out by just like painting the picture that they are, they already have like some baseline fitness. Cause that is so important. The difference between someone off the couch and a seasoned athlete, your, your year periodized is going to look totally different. Um, so that person, if they're mostly slow twitch, obviously have them do those baseline tests, check them out in the mile to see. I mean, if you, if they are mostly slow twitch, their, uh, threshold is probably going to look really good. Maybe their mile doesn't look as comparatively good. Still might look good, but if they if they say they the last season they had no injuries they've been moving their body for a year a couple of years probably going to put them through really basic like eight weeks twelve weeks of base building you know that might look like because if they're going out to Tahoe uh, Tahoe is in September that's the month number is nine so yeah you're talking about starting out you know at least in February going you know February March April you can pretty comfortably do just easy volume building. Because that's a beast. That's a pretty good sized distance. You're going to want to have big runs. You're going to be putting in pretty decent mileage. And you can only handle so many variables at once, right? We talked about this before. You can't add volume in your vert and your intensity and your overall mileage all at once. So this mm-hmm. is why we periodize. We First, we build up your mileage. Or for a place like Tahoe, we'll start getting some vert in there as well. But we'll ultimately keep... This is the way I do things, okay? There are other coaches that do things differently. I'm just spitting the way I like this to be done is you'll end up throwing in some vert, you'll increase the mileage, you'll kind of build up your capacity for the harder stuff to come. And if the individual doesn't have a lot of speed, we'll probably start adding in quick stuff right after that. You know, like I said before, doing tempo stuff. Um, and here, here's the thing, I'm going to kind of interrupt myself, because before we talked about the different types of periodization, you have your, like your, there's linear and non-linear. And classic, the linear, the classic periodization might be, Super simple, really cut and dry, eight weeks base, uh, four weeks like tempo. Uh, and then after that, four weeks of, of real speed stuff like on the track and then four weeks specificity and then like a two week taper and boom, you have, uh, how many months did I just spit? That's probably whatever. Like, yeah, well, yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah. You got like six months. You, you had six focused months going into a specific event. I more so like the nonlinear progression where we're not going to do the the eight weeks of base and then go right into like four weeks of just tempo. There's going to be a little bit of mixing. Um, Mm. That's just the way that that I like to do things. It keeps things a little bit spicier. There's a little more variety. And the beauty about building any certain skill set is it takes, it's easier to maintain it than it is to build it. So you're building things all the while and you don't have to put in like four weeks of just killer focusing on one specific skill set and then and then move to the next you can kind of build them all up together now both of these things work both of these things over the past 60 years have been shown great promise in the olympics uh, to work and really either either seems to do it's kind of based on the person i personally like going through all the different skill sets at the same time to a certain degree um yeah i love that you brought up i love that you brought up the nonlinear thing because that is something that they're 
I think that there is a lot of evidence in terms of strength training with nonlinear that it actually will pr- provide uh, produce better results in terms of strength and hypertrophy. Um, in endurance, I don't know how much more there is, but with OCR, it's kind of a blend of both, right? So like you need these things. And uh, I think OCR is the perfect place to introduce some nonlinear training where it's like, uh, like just uh, in a sense for how I might pr- progress, it'd be like, okay, on Tuesday, one week, we're going to do a straight threshold workout on on flats the next Tuesday, it's going to be maybe carry focus where it's going to be some sort of like threshold effort, but with like a carry involved in there and then kind of moving back and forth of their primary workout of the week. And then their secondary workout could be along the same lines. Like it could be like endurance support, um, which could be maybe just, um, some like tempo Hills or fast or fast Hills, like Hill sprints and just kind of alternate between that. Uh, because I think that that is, and then you can with, when you put together a, nonlinear progression in like a a period of training, will you extend the period or you kind of keep it in that four to six week block? Well, it's neither. So the reason I say neither is because there's, there's a little more of a blending. So rather than really going from specifically one skill set to the other, they'll, they kind of mesh, they kind of mesh together. And so it's not necessarily like really going from one right into the other, but there might be uh, like a building of some more tempo stuff, what we might call like zone three, something you could do for an hour. Uh, it's, it's hard work, but it's not super duper hard. And then maybe we'll start to add, we'll decrease that style of work, that kind of hard, but not killer stuff. We'll decrease that. And then we'll start to introduce some, what I would call like zone four, some really hard stuff, but, but things you might do intervals uh, like two to five minutes of so it's more intense so what we're doing is we're kind of moderating the intensity and as the person becomes more fit to handle higher intensity we will introduce that more and then as time goes on we'll uh we'll kind of like work towards the the specificity of the event yeah how much time would you give that would you give it six weeks for like a a specific training race block or four weeks what do you think is um, necessary for that. And, and I know in your personal training, you're, you're, you are really, uh, like strong in the actual race specifics based off of the training that you've done. So, uh, I know you don't do too much of blending, like actually like doing something like a burpee 10 K workouts. Yeah. Right. Like you're, you're able to just, uh, to, to go into it based off of like your base of strength and the adaptations that you've created for yourself over years of training. And you can go into the race and just kind of kick ass. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. So, <laughs> so like what do you um wh- how long of time would you give people for specific training or do you do for yourself great question super important uh show for shorter events like for a sprint uh or a super uh for a spartan for four weeks i like four weeks because those those intensities like if you've been doing a lot of base building up and you've been introducing you know like the z3 zone four stuff that's great but you can start introducing longer harder workouts um like like three four weeks out and you're going to get really good adaptations from that pretty quick because those like metabolic adaptations just happen to happen really quick. I think I've seen like two to four weeks those occur. Uh, and sometimes as quickly as seven days. Whereas with like an ultra event, like more like six weeks out because ultimately the specificity for an ultra event is going to be a shitload of time on feet. And it's just uh-huh. going to take a little more time to recover from that. So you can, you can spice yourself up and get really prepared for a sprint or a super like a Spartan uh, or even like your local 5k and you can go do speed work seven days prior to that. And you're probably going to be pretty sharp and you can be pretty fresh going into that, that event the next weekend. Whereas with an ultra, you can't go out and do an eight hour run with 10,000 feet of vert and be fresh, you know, the next week. So 
that'll stick with the, that kind of stuff will stick with you a little bit more. The endurance stuff will stick around a little bit more, whereas intensity comes and goes a little bit quicker. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that is important to note that you don't need eight weeks of 200 meter repeats. Like you'll probably reach your peak of that, of, of that adaptation relatively quickly. And you'll see you'll like, and in, in terms of those faster, if you're doing 400s, 800s, even thousands or whatever, like they'll get easier week after week, almost immediately. We're like a long run. Like, yeah, you'll, it'll be a grind. It'll still suck <laughs> like week after week. Um, and so like that, that is a really great point to consider like what you, what you're aiming for. So if you wanted to have, if you were pointing everything at a shorter event, it, the, the sharpening period can, and probably should be a little bit shorter, um, just so you can hold on to those, um, high level adaptations for the race. Yeah, um, okay. and, that, and that's why, that's why, like you mentioned, base period comes first for, in the most case, because the, the adaptations stick around longer and you're still going to be kind of stacking more on top of that, on top of that base as it continues to go through. Um, but for the case, I also want to make mention that as you are think pulling, uh, setting up a progression, uh, and you're working into a race specific period, um, you really want to set everything. Yes. To aim for the race, but you should probably have like a key workout that you're, you're gearing yourself toward so that you can build up to, uh, something that is going to be maybe 70 or 80% of the volume of the actual race itself. Um, and this, again, this is for an example, like a, a marathon or a beast or something longer. Um, the shorter events you can, you can do five by thousand and that's 5k, like and that won't kill you. Um, but you might not want to go out and do three hours of uh, a race sim when it comes to uh, beast prep. So like having a key workout set, um, several weeks in front, like, where would you put that? Like, like when I would, when I would set up like a key workout for something, maybe like Tahoe it would probably be about three weeks out before they're, uh, so that they can have a strong two and a half to three week taper after their, their one key workout. What do you think? Got you. I, I think two to two to three weeks is proper. If someone hasn't had a lot of experience and you can just recognize your, your time with them that their soreness kind of lingers, or maybe this was a bigger workout, uh, compared to what they had been doing. Yeah. Probably three, four weeks out is a, is a good idea. But if a person has awesome recovery, then I think two weeks out would be all right, depending on certain factors. I mean, you know, like if uh, a place like Tahoe, uh, if you're putting in a lot of vert and the person seems to not recover from their vertical gain super duper well, yeah, three weeks out, keep that a little bit further away. And what kind of workout would that look like for you? I mean, when I'm, when I'm thinking about Tahoe, it's, um, it's a lot, I would more put that in kind of like a marathon training type of key workout where it's going to be a, a long time at a moderately hard effort, like kind of like a super, like a key workout in a marathon training for like a high level athlete would be a 13 to like 16 mile tempo run at marathon mm-hmm. pace. Um, so I think it would be not, not apples, apples as far as distance, but um, as far as time is concerned, I think that's a kind of a fair place to be maybe like an hour and a half of like really hard work. Um, for that, uh, for like a, a race like Tahoe, um, do you have any like key workouts that you, that you think about when you're setting up these things or does it depend on person to person or do you have anything that like, what, what does that kind of look like? Or like if you were prepping for Tahoe, like what would be your last workout that you would try to get in? Yeah. As far as working with other people, it definitely depends on the event that they're going into. Cause I want to emulate the event best as possible. Tahoe is kind of an easy one. Cause it's pretty much a giant climb followed by like a, a second, slightly smaller climb. So I think, you know, go hit a steep though. Very steep. steep, the second, Super second steep. climb steep. <laughs> so yeah, go do some like long sustained climbs and then, you know, and just a few reps, get a couple to a few thousand feet 
of a, a vertical and but like really hammer the downhills and see how strong you can hit those uphills actually after your yeah. speed up mm -hmm. i think that is a, a kind of by itself like uh like and I've done workouts like this before and, and had workouts for people who are preparing for, for something like West Virginia or one of the late, later stages races like a Tahoe or something where um, it's like, yeah, you hammer like a 20 minute uh, incline, 20 to 30 minute incline and then do like a carry or something and like kind of have it actually be like a race sim and then kind of have like some flats where they're, where they're bringing the effort up a little bit more. So it would be like 20 minute uphill at tempo three minute jog recovery, three by three minute heavy carry, and then kind of moving into like maybe like a flat tempo or like over speed stuff just to kind of simulate what it would be like for the downhills is trying to get them to turn over a little bit more. Yeah. Say if they, you know, if they don't have access to a, a, a mountain or something like that, that would be like a treadmill workout, I would say. Um, and kind of setting it for that time being like, okay, like setting it out to be an hour, 30 to hour, 45 minutes of like elevated work where you're going to kind of try to have to feel where, feel what that pace is going to be like, what that relative effort is going to be like, and being able to sustain a long amount of uh, duration after a pretty long, nasty climb. Yeah. I hear this. I hear this uh, time thrown around for long workouts. It's 90 minutes. And it's said that like after 90 minutes, you kind of start to lose any, but there's like diminishing returns. How do you feel about that? Have you heard that? I think getting to uh, like 90 minutes in terms of like a tempo run. Yeah, like a hard a hard workout. Ninety minutes is after that, no use. Yeah, I think for most people, I think it'd be hard for them to get to a ninety minute workout. Like I probably have only done a couple of ninety minute workouts ever. You? Yeah, yeah. I would, but I guess that. So this this is kind of a, a cool point because I guess if you're doing something on say pavement or on a treadmill, it's not only monotonous, but it can be a lot of pounding. Unless the treadmill is like you, you can inclined. rip it up. Yeah, you can it's, really. Dude, this is the beauty of trails. This is the beauty of trails for every, for everybody. Even if, uh, unless you're like an Olympic marathoner, but in which case you can handle the road, that's your shindig. Right. But if for, for most athletes, I think that they can really benefit from long workouts on the trails because of the, the demand on your focus, on your reactivity and the, uh, the breadth of engagement of all of your muscles from like the lateral movement and uh, just the different foot placements. It's going to be good for getting in a long workout without increasing like I said, the monotony on like any single muscle group. So I think they're just super duper effective doing long workouts uh, or lo longer workouts over 90 minutes in the woods. Yeah. I, I think that's fair because it sounds like when, when they are talking about, because I've heard this number thrown around as well for like long runs, like anything over three hours, like you're just wasting your time. Um, and and in, which case, in which case for a, like a, if you're a half marathoner or shorter, that probably is true. But for anything Maybe. longer than that, right. you'll probably benefit from three plus. Yeah, like yeah, if you're preparing for an ultra, like you need to run longer than three hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like th those get thrown around, just kind of like in like uh, generalities of uh, like what people have seen across the masses, and like that's just a recoverability thing. And a lot of times, the information that we're going off of are from people running on roads, more or less, right? Like yeah, mm -hmm. so like to do like a 90 minute tempo run on a flat road, like that would suck. And that would take a long time just to physically recover from where, um, uh, unless you are putting in, you know, 130, 150 mile weeks Ooh. at like that really high end elite level, um, where you can handle something like that. But for the most part, I would imagine. Yeah. And like, I can imagine putting in any type of 90 minute workout 
And if you are doing that on your own, um, chances are the intensity is not where it needs to be. Um, again, just speaking generally for the, the masses when it comes to obstacle course racing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like maybe like maybe you or I could put in something like that. Guys like Atkins or Aaron Newell, like they might not have a problem hitting intensity for 90 minutes. But again, for the most part, I think a lot of people, if they're doing a 90 minute workout, it's too slow. Yeah. Well, that that's a good point is, uh, so with that like 90 minute workout, you could probably make that longer if you break up that intensity. Um, so like the beauty with say trail runs, I know we're kind of going on a little bit of a tangent here with long runs, but I think it's, uh, it's relative enough, relevant enough with like the long run. It's almost like a fartlek style. If I, uh, you know, you have someone go kind of hard on the uphills and then just hit the downhills like as a recovery, you know, if mm-hmm. they want to focus on leg strength and uh, uphills happen to be their, their weakness or something. But yeah, you almost, it's almost like an, like an interval fartlek style going out there. So you're kind of getting rest, a little bit of recovery, but you're spending a lot of time on feet and like going out for a run hike. Those are dope. Those are awesome. Just do some power, oh, totally. hiking, get a little bit of running in there. You're going to get killer endurance effects from that. And in that case, like to, to build up the amount of quality work to 90 minutes, that would take forever. You know, like it would, again, it would, like you could probably do that for a long, long time, but not amass 90 minutes of quality work and still get a three hour workout in. And I think that's fair. I think then that number is, is still like in a good spot. Like, so we're not saying don't go do a workout longer than 90 minutes, but if you go out there expecting 90 minutes of intense work, like probably not. Like that needs to be saved for race day. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Another, um, so uh, a little shout out to uh, uh, Dennis Welch. I like one of his styles of kind of taking some of these, these longer workouts and getting them, um, making them a little more achievable for m- most people is say you do uh you do like some 800s or 1600s or even 3200s and you hit them pretty hard and then kind of like the run hike you're done with the running but instead of hiking you strap on the tire you take mm. it for a drag it's low level strength building it's not a complete rest it's an active recovery but it's a way to build ultimate volume moving your body building strength endurance interesting so yeah that could be done it could be done like a, on a rower or something as well but maybe it would be a little less specific to the, the climbing muscles that you might need but yeah, but that's another way to kind of add the volume into something that you are, are trying to get some sort of in, intense workout in as well. Um, right. Because like trying to do a, you know, 16 mile run after doing mile repeats, like probably not going to want to do it. <laughs> but like if you did something like uh, have having the the tire strapped to you or some sort of other type of cross training with that is a good way to add volume uh, with the intensity for sure. So yeah, that is a kind of an interesting method uh, to kind of split things, split things up and to be creative. And another thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, because a lot of these progressions and, and the periodizations, they are mostly studied uh, in the strength and conditioning world. Um, it just seems to be like they, there are more studies for that kind of thing, um, but definitely proven in the endurance world. There are definitely some some scientific backing behind all this, the progressive, uh, progressive overload and everything like that. But there is this method that gets thrown around in the powerlifting world. It's called the conjugate method. And the conjugate method is, uh, like we were talking about it earlier, it is just another way of kind of undulated or nonlinear uh, progression. Um, and this has been used by um, Westside Barbell, which which has produced many of the, the strongest power lifters in the world and have a ton of world records. I forget what it is. There's a there's a there's actually a documentary on Netflix right now. It's not great because it's made by the people in Westside. So like it tells their own story. I never really liked those. It's not videographers. <laughs> right. And it's just like anybody that's, that's telling a documentary on their own dime, like they're going to make themselves look good. Like where like there's definitely controversy in there and like 
but like when they're making it themselves and be like, I'm awesome. And here's why. Um, so it's okay, but it's kind of cool to see people do these, do, do the work. And it kind of talks about this method, but in the conjugate method, they like really want to work on variants and, and changing different muscle groups and, but also doing max lifts and then doing like max, like dynamic work every single day. So it's going to be, this is kind of like a base of, of, of work here. And this is just something that I wanted to talk to you about, just kind of spitball back and forth to see if this would work for something like OCR. So um, in the conjugate method, it's uh, Monday is like a max lift, lower body. Um, and that could be any type of variation. So it could be a max, just straight up back squat. It could be a max sumo deadlift. It could be max like Bulgarian split squat, whatever. As, as heavy as you can do that specific day, not like your one rep max, but the most that day um tuesday is like dynamic work with bands and chains and doing like really fast things um as fast as you possibly can so that's kind of where that max effort is there and that would be upper body focus um wednesday is more low intensity stuff just to build their capacity so like sled pushes and things of that nature thursday would be dynamic lower body so again kind of working on chains and bands working speed as fast as possible and then friday is a max lift for your upper body uh whatever that looks like bench incline bench uh, shoulder press, um, things of that nature. And then you kind of rest and recover for, um, the weekend. So like, do you think something like that could be feasible in obstacle course racing? Like Monday have an all out effort in, in any of the running disciplines. So it could be like hundred meters as fast as you can work up to a, as fast as you can, hundred meters or do a fast 5k that day. And then, uh, Tuesday working on, uh, like explosive movements through like your upper body or something like that. Um, what do you think? Do you think this is viable for endurance? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Because, dude, yeah, it's a matter. It's, it's kind of brilliant the way they're doing it. And it's what they're doing is they're taking, like, the typical bro split of, like, upper body, lower body. And they're, they just kind of, like, nerded out and got a little more techie with it and, uh, and added a little more variety to, yeah, the, the style of strain they're, they're taking on. And that's – I think that is precisely what should be getting done because, yeah, they're not goal. Their goal isn't just, like, playing simply – hypertrophy they're looking for like yeah get strong as hell and yeah they're gonna get big doing it but they're looking these guys are looking to perform and that's mm-hmm. what we're looking to do as obstacle course racers that bonus is we want to perform best we can and however the body looks is however the body looks on the road getting there and that's the thing with this they do uh they do a shitload of hypertrophy work after all of these like they have their main lifts and then it's all hypertrophy and accessory work so in the world of endurance hypertrophy work would be like aerobic capacity right? Would you say that's like kind of the comparison? Like hypertrophy is the, the growth of your muscle. So the bigger your muscle, uh, the stronger you can train it is kind of the idea behind hypertrophy training. That's a reasonable, um, yeah, that's a reasonable comparison. Yeah. Right. Because, because uh, hypertrophy, right. Ultimately you want to like get big, make them, make the muscle large, which, in, which is, yeah, it's capacity to build strength because size and strength don't always go completely together. You got scrawny people that are strong as heck, but that's but not as strong as the biggest people. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. You want to build the muscle and then make that muscle super quality. And when that muscle is super quality and you're getting like maximum power output strength out of the, that muscle, then you want to make it bigger. But what these guys are doing is they're kind of doing it all at the same time, maximizing yes. muscle quality while building the capacity its size to build more max, well, max power and strength. Yes. Whereas like a bodybuilder would just go from body part to body part, working on hypertrophy and never, it might never actually get into a, a max lift. They might, but like, uh, depending on how they want to cycle it. But so a typical strength training cycle would be, uh, whatever, like muscle endurance, 
hypertrophy, powerlifting, and like sharpening for uh, like power output for like two weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you see like so bodybuilding it's and 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 str- and strength they they're might not be synonymous. I mean, I'm sure a guy who's huge has done enough work in the weight room, but a powerlifter is going to outlift the uh, bodybuilder like almost every time. For sure. Um, so like, yeah, so like that would kind of be, so the size of someone's muscle that they would put together for hypertrophy and the amount of aerobic capacity that a runner has is also kind of the ability to stack work on top of it. So adding power on top of like this big base of aerobic training is kind of like doing a max lift and then doing uh, a lot of accessory work, right? Okay. I'm, I'm, follow, I'm following. Yeah. I'm picking up what I'm laying down. Um, and then, so like, and like a dynamic move, I guess that's, that's where I would get hung up. Like what would a dynamic move be? Um, would that be strictly in the gym type of thing? Would it be working on speed? Um, because I, I feel like you could only do so much in terms of this with running, um, like a dynamic running movement. Maybe you could do like, but like, yeah, if you do like an all out 5k, then the next day you came back to do plyometrics, like, with your lower body, you probably would have a hard time. You probably wouldn't be able to, to work out as fast as possible. But if it was doing something like doing, doing like dyno work in a rock climbing gym or something, maybe. And then run a bunch after. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's ultimately right. So the concept when you have, when you take a pure runner, they have a quality day, they have a day or two of easy work before the next quality day. Right. So they have two or three quality days at like their peak of training, probably with easy days in between it. But yeah, the beautiful about OCR is we have other, Uh, other skills that we need to build and so you can take like a hard workout on monday you know running and then tuesday i I mean honestly even the same day you could go home if you're not totally blown up and you can do an upper body workout it's a different Mm -hmm. muscle it's a different muscle group totally so yeah i'm interested in this i might flirt around with trying to do something like this to see what that would even look like and just like doing max efforts on mondays and running and then just doing easy miles and doing max efforts on friday somehow <laughs> so i think it's more like ocr like doing like a, a max effort carry on friday or something and doing max effort run on monday i tell you what man i mean you look at history and you know there's there's a, a lot of a lot of coaches out there and ultimately there's there's science to follow and then there's experience so you have like the old guard that has been coaching for 40 years or something like that they've seen what works over time but there's new science introduced. Now there are concepts or fundamental principles that seem to stay the same a lot, like this whole periodization thing, these different, uh, these different ways to, to progress, but the exact movement that you do or like the, the rep counts within that or something like that, there's, there's kind of changing science on how all these puzzle pieces go together. And that is the beauty of being a human, but also as being a coach, because not only are we a human, right? We're humans. Uh, and, but we also have a group of people that we are aiming to help maximize and optimize their performance and their health. And we have a little bit of uh, a little bit of what's the word I'm looking for there. <laughs> almost, we're all guinea pigs. You know, we're all guinea pigs and we're working out these different methods. And for all you know, you're going to end up being the coach that comes out with this out, this absolute master uh, training method. And it's through a little bit of experimentation. So have at it, son. 
And it's very few people that like, it takes a while for science to catch up to the application. Right. And a lot of times people will do something that works for them or for somebody else that they've helped. And that ends up being like a study of one and of one. And then that's the, those are things that get debunked really easy. And that's what comes along. We talked about dieting and stuff last time, but fad diets, it works for a couple people and then they sell it to, to the masses. Same thing with training programs. A lot of the times, like if you, it worked for some people. And so like then they try to sell it to work for everybody and it doesn't and it just doesn't um and that's where coaches need to have the ability to take all these things and and put it in place but a lot of times it needs to be evidence-based and the evidence-based stuff has worked for the greatest amount of people so when you're working with individuals like that's generally where people are going to go like there's very few people who create a training methodology um that works across the board and but like progression and periodization is one of those things, but like you can still kind of push, but it's just risky. <laughs> it's like, it's risky to see what's out there and, and having people to uh, practice these things on and to see what that looks like, because um, we're not going to have any type of, of lab access. We're not going to have any study funded. It's just going to be the results that people get and the, and like based on the workouts that they're given. Um, so it's like kind of, like venturing into unknown and in terms of something like a conjugate method for obstacle course racing where uh and, and just trying to be as well-rounded as possible and having the whole year like basically not periodizing anything and just being as as well-rounded as possible throughout the entire time um how do you how do you feel about that there are some athletes out there that take a full month two months where they hardly do a single thing they hardly move a muscle and there are others who work throughout the entire year do you feel more strongly towards one way or the other. Um, and and, my, and it, it depends on the individual, my personal preference. Like I don't take that much time. Um, I will be conscious about how I feel physically and emotionally. I find those breaks to be more of an emotional break than, um, than they need to be typically physically. Mm -hmm. um, you could always bring things back, bring things back down, but I feel like adaptation is like, ever growing. So you could just kind of change the stimulus and switch things around and work on different things and continue to improve. Um, or some people might not want to do that, might not want to continue to work toward improving because they just don't want, they just don't feel like it. <laughs> they just beat down from a week, from a year of training and, and racing. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the person. I mean, I would definitely recommend rest for everybody, but it doesn't have to be like two months because I think some of those people are kind of freaks that they can hold on to a decent amount of fitness with two months off but definitely taking a solid week off once twice three times a year definitely I don't think that's a bad idea at all because you know what you're really you're not going to lose much over a week that's more of a mental struggle where you feel like you've been off of it but the studies show that you can you can practically do nothing for a week and you're really not going to lose any fitness mm -hmm. and it'll come back really fast you know, yeah, you might lose. There, there's like some numbers like, oh, like you lose like 10% of fitness, but like that's nothing in terms I of I, I wish I had the study in front of me, but there's uh, it's something along the lines of, and I and don't take this for what I'm saying. It's uh, I, I might be slightly wrong, but it was something along the lines of we had some some 5K runners and they reduced their volume down to 20% of what they were doing, and they did that for four weeks. They came back and all ran PRs. Wow, really. Cause they were, cause the 20% was enough for them to hold on to fitness and they, they super compensated. They got good recovery from all the stuff they did prior and they were super duper fresh. So ultimately you can look at that and say, okay, that was just a long 
a long taper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's something I was just thinking like, okay, that's another method in terms of tapering. And there are multiple methods of tapering, but it kind of comes back to what we were just talking about in terms of progression and periodization. Like this is the way that has worked for most people. And this is the way that tapering works, works for most people to be safe. So like, I don't know, like I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> like do the, do the, the, four weeks at 20%. Yeah. Right. And like, there's other things that could happen. Like there's like body composition, things that change mindset shifts that might happen. Um, but that's interesting to know. Cause there is a lot of way to hold on to that. And, and in the strength training world, for sure, it's even easier to hold on to, to, to gains, like just doing minimal maintenance work. Um, after you've put in a good like strength block, like you'll hang on to it quite a bit. Um, and we're going to talk about strength training, periodization and, and progressions in another episode. Cause I think that's something that is all for itself. Um, yeah, but too yeah, much, too much to talk about. <laughs> so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? Me- should we, should we leave people with, uh, a little bit of structure? Yeah, let's do it. Rock on. So how would you, it's January. You got a race in September. How do you start? So it is just going to be about testing that first week for sure is tests, like in figuring out where you are on, on a baseline, assuming that you are, okay, have a little bit of fitness there. Even if like you are, relatively sedentary you still want to get some sort of fitness test and just to see where you're starting at and to have some sort of target set out for you so that we're not overdoing it on intensity and that we're not overdoing it on volume from the jump um if they had so say they did a race january to september and took took like october november or took october november december off or whatever um then yeah then we're just going to go base um because we did talk about like you may hold on to adaptation but not for 90 days mm-hmm. um so we'd want to build that back up because it would get ad- adaptation out of just running easy miles. And I think someone who's from like fresh off the couch, I think they could run miles for probably a full year and still see results. Um, Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Yeah. So I don't think there's a there's a necessary – you don't necessarily need to push speed work if you're just getting started with running. You'll get great gains in, in terms of your results by just running miles and just kind of overloading the miles. Mm-hmm. Um so and to give, but, some, to give uh, a little bit of oomph to what you just said right there, they're Olympic athletes training on a four-year cycle. They will spend an entire year almost entirely working aerobically. Mm, right. Yeah, because they have they have time. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us don't have that kind of time. And a lot of them, they, they're still working on – they'll still work into seasons, right? And they just might not be as sharp because they have bigger pitchers um, to, to take on. Um, but yeah, probably just keeping it, uh, regular miles and I'd work in some sort of, uh, progression runs or cut down runs, uh, where they're adding a little bit of up-tempo work. Um, I'd probably have them do some easy pickups where it's like every five minutes do 30 seconds of like up-tempo stuff just to get the legs turned over. And maybe you can start to introduce maybe after four or five weeks, introduce some hill sprints, some short, easy eight to 10 second hill sprints. Um, and we'll probably do that for about probably six weeks minimum. What do you think? Yeah, I like that. I think those hill sprints are quite potent. So even if you just start out doing that once or twice a week, like four reps, six mm-hmm. reps, you'd be surprised because the hill sprints, you can also treat them like bounds where you just take really exaggerated long strides. Boy, are those potent. Like power skips. Yeah, the yeah. Um, those, those are great. They're like essentially strength training, but you're also getting to work that high end uh, leg turnover, but you're not. it's not as much wear and tear because the ground meets your foot sooner because yeah. you're uphill, <laughs> you know, so it doesn't beat you up as much because yeah, if you start sprinting, people can kind of get uh, going a little bit too fast too soon. Um, yeah, I would, I would say cap those at 10. I don't know how people go more than 10 on those um, after several weeks of progression on that as well. 
Um, yeah. So after about the, the base period, if again, if they are looking at, uh, we'll, we'll keep it OCR, we'll keep it Tahoe, I guess. Where, where would you put them after those six weeks or so? Start adding on uh, more tempo stuff. You know, probably still, if you're just off the couch, one quality day a week, one quality day a week, uh, you know, maybe just keep that at 20 minute tempo. You'll probably get really good results from that. Pay attention to how your body feels. And if you're feeling super sharp and fantastic, you know, maybe increase it to uh, to two times 15 minute tempo uh, or, you know, one time was a uh, one times 30 minute tempo after that. And just increase the volume ever so slightly. Don't make any huge jumps and don't be afraid to take a down week, cut your volume by 50% every fourth week. See how that does you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I actually like kind of like a bottom up approach from here um, where it's kind of the opposite where I will like to have people do like 400s to start at like eight by 400 with 400 recovery at somewhere it's like 10K to 15K pace. So not like breakneck pace for these 400s, mm-hmm. something that is sustainable um, for a, a, like a longer race. Just going to get some turnover just and then and then I will build that progression and I'll go to 600s, 800s, 1000s. Um, and I found that people get really good speed endurance gains out of that without really needing to turn it over and, and have it be too taxing. Um, nice. Yeah. So that's, again, those are two different approaches, right? Like that's a top down. They're starting up here. I'm starting at the bottom and, and working our way up and we'll probably end up in, in the same spot. So there you go. And, yeah. And again, so if you're, if you're a person who feels really quick for a sprint, but sucks at long endurance stuff, probably do more of the tempo stuff. And if you're a person that doesn't have good speed, but you feel like you can just go for a long time, take Rich's way, do more speed work off the bat. 100% when it's this early, when it's this mm-hmm. early in, in the season because it's where you want to work on the things that you need to work on because when we want to get the adaptations to be sharp in the race, we want to do what what works for you. So if you are someone who, like we mentioned, there's you're, you're probably not, like, you, like fast twitch, like mm, probably not going to be too many of you out there that, that we're going to do like fast 400s before a beast distance. But um but yeah, that is a good point. So wherever you feel like you need to work on, kind of set that in motion in that second, that's, uh, that's second period. What do you think after that? Uh, after that, start working. You can start looking a little more at specific, uh, the specificity of your event. Uh, you know, doing some of those longer tempo or threshold runs, uh, some longer intervals. If you're looking at a beast, if you're looking at Tahoe. And, uh, and yeah, you know, increasing your, your long run, still taking off every third or fourth week or cutting your volume rather uh, a bit just to make sure you're recovering because you got to recover fitness. You you don't build fitness by beating the crap out of yourself, plain and simple and putting more work. You got to put in work, you got to recover and then the fitness gains come on and then you go and you hit it again for two, three weeks. And that hundred percent. And I think threshold is a great place for this. Now Um, I like to introduce threshold and kind of keep it present one way or another, basically throughout the remainder of the, of the training. Um, so right now, if we are, um, three months into a nine month block, I would still have threshold in here at some respect, no matter what, like, and, and, and varying the speeds of it, varying the distance of it. Um, and even mixing it in with some OCR stuff. One thing I like to do is have threshold runs. And then as the recovery, just having them do burpees or have a threshold run and then right into a carry so that the recovery is just something more OCR specific. I'll make the threshold pace, quote unquote, a little bit slower, Mm -hmm. Um, but still with that same idea is like you want to be comfortably hard. You want to be running at a pace that you might be able to maintain for like a super distance um, or even like a hard sprint, Um, like a hilly sprint, I should say. And then having that be present somehow 
either either undulated throughout the entire time because you're right this now kind of time where you can kind of take the progression and move it into a longer undulated um non-linear progression where how i mentioned before is it might be like okay threshold on tuesday but next next week that the the workout is going to be back to tempo and then the following week would be threshold again and then this way you can stretch it out longer and still take that break after like four to six weeks but jump right back into that undulated progression does that make sense solid solid that's a good plan and then um that's kind of how i would take that and 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 then maybe move it from um from the threshold and like i said kind of keep that there and then take keep the threshold present but then move in something more race specific in terms of uh like hills or 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 trails and things along that nature because say that we are three months out 12 weeks out Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna want to start to get them on the terrain i would i would think and start working off of rate of perceived exertion as opposed to maybe sets and times um because that is what the race is going to call for, especially in obstacle course racing. Like you don't necessarily need to know your pace at any, any given time on, on an OCR course. Absolutely. Yeah. Start working on, uh, it's not, you know, 12 weeks out. It's not a bad time to start working on more specific things, uh, especially for a trail run, get on the trails, get on the trails and putting some time out there, uh, hit the trails interval style. I think that's a great way to go about it. Like we were saying before, you kind of break up your intensity over time while you're out there for your long run. And, uh, and yeah, as you get closer to your your main event, which will would be Tahoe, make sure that a couple weeks out, you've really cut things back. You're not doing any mega strength workouts that you're not going to recover from, that your nervous system isn't going to be fully recovered from. Don't be afraid to taper quite a bit and take things easy going into your A race because this is where it's all going towards. We're talking about one race. You've worked all four of this. You don't build fitness gains in the last five days going into this thing. Don't be afraid to take some rest. Make sure you're taking care of everything, all the stressors, all the sleep, good nutrition, all those factors. It's all part of the game. Yeah. And if you have to race, like I know last year, you and I, we both raced, I think the week before Tahoe and you raced two weeks before Tahoe. So don't try to squeeze training in between those races because you just need to, to maintain the aerobic gains that you have, maybe some sharpening workouts here or there, um, maybe some grip stuff. But um, because we're all kind of faced with that, especially in OCR where it's like you just race like Citizens Bank was the week before tahoe and i was like well i can uber to citizens bank so i'm doing it and then you were just like i'm gonna do killington and then i'm gonna do citizens bank and then you're like ah eh, screw it i'll drive to tahoe. Tahoe. <laughs> yeah. i was uh that ended up working out for me because i was just feeling fit i kind of built up my fitness up to that point and uh yeah three races within three weeks that was okay but that's because that was like the only time i did that all year and you're not trying oh. to smash the training in between like you have you have right. to have that in, in, in terms of that as well you can race back to back fairly mm-hmm. well only for a limited amount of time maybe for three weeks that's probably as much if like you're doing a fourth week and four if you're doing four races in four weeks um they're probably like probably none of them are going to be the way you wanted them to turn out um so i would caution against that and if you had to do three in a row i would do it at the end of the year for sure totally especially don't do you're not doing like ultras back to back the races we're talking about right now was like a it was like a, it was like a 40 minute event or like a 30 minute event followed by a two hour event followed by a two hour event now is there a uh, two hour 40 and then two citizens bank was in the middle of killington right okay gotcha yeah <laughs> right i i can't remember off the top of my head i remember it's in the yeah. past your, yeah. coffee is, your coffee is stronger than mine today it's working um <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so anything else you want to leave? And then, like I said, I have that key workout there. 
um, pointed at that everything you want to work toward funnels in toward that key workout. So you can hit that key workout and then bring into your taper um, where you're just kind of cutting volume. Um, and we could talk about that another time as well and how to really kind of put that taper into place. But that would be more accessible information if we actually had races to do. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll end it right there. Remember, be gradual, progress yourself patiently. Don't increase intensity or volume all too quickly all at once. Be patient. The slow gains are more permanent gains. Totally. That's a good, that's a good point. Cool. I'll add us if you need any more info. Rich, where you at? I'm at reinforced underscore running underscore rich. I'm on Twitter too, but I don't. You're tweet tweeting? Much. You're doing no. <laughs> Dude, I was on Twitter for a while. I was on Twitter during like when all that chaos was happening in the area and it just made me like mentally ill. I fucking hated it. I like was looking at it and like everybody's <laughs> arguing, everybody's fighting, everybody hates each other. There's like two different sides of everything and like everyone just it was so gross. I was like, I'm deleting this immediately. Man, I'm over here. I made a Twitter so long ago, but I never I made it. I think I did one tweet and I've never been on it again. And I'm just over here like, da 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 life's great. I don't see anything wrong out there. Yeah. No news. Ignorance is bliss. But like, but like, that's not good news on there. Like, I mean, it's not, it's all biased news. It all comes from like a regular individual. And like, you know, the news news is definitely biased as well. So you have to be careful where you're getting it from. But just getting it from some fucking person, like, get out of here. <laughs> like some person I don't know. Silliness. No time for that. Um, I ain't got time for that. Where you at, my friend? J A underscore S H U A underscore R I E D. Rich and I are here to answer your questions. We like to do so. We will do so. Cool, man. Well, enjoy the holiday. Um, and all you out there, be safe. <laughs> be safe.